Luke chapter 24 this morning. Luke chapter 24. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's always one in front of you somewhere there, and it will be the same New King James Version I'll be reading from. Luke chapter 24. We're going to start reading in verse number 13, and I want to talk to you today on a word to the woeful. A word to the woeful. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem, and have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going. And he indicated that he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Father God, we thank you so much for your word, and I pray now that you would guide us and direct us in these few minutes as we, at the end of this, our service, uh, try to, uh, to open it and proclaim it and, and learn from it. I pray, Father, first of all, for the filling of the Holy Spirit on me as I speak and on all of us as we listen. I pray, Father, that you would uh, just enable us uh, to both proclaim it and to receive it today. Help me, Lord, to wield your sword well today. And I pray that it would cleave uh, what needs cleaved. And that, Lord, today, those who need to hear this message would hear it. I pray for uh, courage. I pray for boldness to say the things that ought to be said. I also pray for protection, that I would not say anything I ought not. Just guide us and direct us. Teach us, Lord. We all have spent more time on the road to Emmaus than we probably care to admit. And I pray today that you would just speak to us about that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in this passage, we're once again going to see that the once living, then dead, and now living again forevermore Savior has appeared to some of his followers. 
And this is after his resurrection. Last week we looked at the very first appearance after the resurrection, and that was to Mary Magdalene and the, and the other women outside of the church. And today I want us to look at what is apparently his third actual appearance uh, here on the road to Emmaus. He had first appeared to Mary and to the other women. And then apparently he appeared to Simon Peter. We have no details in the Bible of that record, other than just to mention that it, that it happened. Uh, we saw it there in verse number 34. It's also mentioned in 1 Corinthians 15:5 that he had appeared to Peter. We know he's going to appear to Peter again at the end of John, but I think that's a different time. And so this would be the third appearance then. Mary and the women, then Peter, and then Cleopas and this other disciple on the road to Emmaus that we read about just here. We're primarily concerned today with his words, not so much with what took place here, although you can't look at this without being amazed at what took place. But we primarily want to look at his words. What did he say, and can we learn anything from what he said? And and, uh, he did say uh, three primary things here. He started with a couple of questions. The first question was, what talk? What are you talking about? What talk? And the second is, what things? And then after he'd asked those two questions, he gave them a bit of a rebuke when he said, what fools? So that's our outline today, if you want to take notes. What talk, what things, what fools. Let's notice the first one. What talk. Luke chapter 24, verse 17, he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Now these two men were walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Uh, it says here in our, in our New King James Bible that that's about seven miles. The Greek is that that was 60 stades or 60 stadion. A stadion was a unit of distance about 607 feet or 187 meters long. And so if you do the math, Paul, this is something you'd like to do. Do the math and you'll find out that it's about seven miles from Jerusalem. And as they're walking along this, this road between Jerusalem and Emmaus, they're talking. And it was apparently kind of an animated conversation, and you can imagine it would be. And suddenly, Jesus is walking alongside of them. And he says to them, what kind of conversation is this that you're having with one another as you walk and are sad? Now, some of you may have in your uh, particular translation of the, of the Bible, if you're holding uh, NIV or New American Standard or something like that, it may say something like, what kind of conversation is this? And they stopped and were sad. And both of those are okay. Both of those are accurate translations of that particular thing uh, as they were walking along. And they were sad about this thing. Interestingly, as they're walking and as they're talking and as and they're thinking about Jesus, is Jesus standing right there with them, right beside them? And they don't recognize him. I don't know about you, but I find that very interesting. Here, their broken hearts are concentrated on one person and one person alone. You'd think there would be one face in their mind that they were thinking about more than any other on the face of this earth. And all of a sudden, boom, there he is, right in front of them, and they don't recognize him. The Bible says their eyes were restrained from seeing who their companion on the journey was. And it's interesting, that phenomenon, that phenomenon of people not recognizing Jesus after his resurrection wasn't limited to just here. It happened several times. We saw it last week, did we not, when we talked about Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene did not recognize him when she had said this. She turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. When we get to the very end of John, we're going to talk about that time when by the sea he appeared to the disciples and he restored Peter to fellowship. One of the most wonderful chapters in all of our Bible, John chapter 21. But it says there that when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And so it was not an uncommon thing. It wasn't something specific to these guys on the Emmaus Road. 
Uh, some didn't recognize. And some have suggested all kinds of natural explanations for this. I think we might have mentioned some last week. Some have said Mary Magdalene, was her eyes were so blurred with tears that she could not see. Some have said that the disciples along the shore, it was a misty, foggy morning, and they were looking through the fog, and they couldn't see. And, you know, I suppose that's possible. But the fact is, uh, the fact is, we are told here that it wasn't just a natural phenomenon, that God restrained their vision until his timing was right. He wasn't going to let them see. It was something that he was doing. Mark gives us another interesting clue in his gospel. In Mark chapter 16, it says, obviously referring to this very same incident on the road to Emmaus, it says, after that he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. Now, what does that mean? In another form. I wonder what that form was. Whatever it was, they did not recognize him. And so, here's Jesus. He comes alongside of them as they're walking and talking, and he asks, what are you talking about? And their response is one of absolute incredulity. They cannot believe that anyone would even question what they were talking about, because surely this topic was the only topic that anybody, anywhere, was talking about. The things that had happened in Jerusalem during the last week. And so... One of those whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? Verse 18. And that led to Jesus' second question. What things? What things? Verse number 19. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that's priceless. What things? Can't you, can't you see some humor in that? Can't you almost imagine that there's a twinkle in Jesus' eye as he says that? What things? What things are you talking about? I, I, there's got to be some, some humor there. Beth and I were talking about this, and she asked me, she said, what, what do you suppose Jesus' sense of humor was like? Well, I think Jesus' sense of humor must have been the best that's ever been, because he invented humor. He's the creator of it. Uh, and so I think there was some, some humor here. But it went way beyond humor. It went way beyond teasing. I, I think he wanted to hear their account. I think he wanted to know what was their understanding of the things that had occurred over the past few days. Wearsby said, he, Jesus, had been at the heart of all that had happened in Jerusalem. And now he was asking them to tell him what had occurred. And as they answer that question, as they tell him what things had taken place, we learned an awful lot about them. He said unto them, what things? And so they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. He said to them, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. They said to them, what things? And so they said to him, we were hoping, we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. He said to them, what things? And so they said to him, beside all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Notice verse number 20. Verse number 20, he was a prophet, they said. Past tense. Well, that tells us something about him, doesn't it? Past tense. It revealed that their hopes were dashed. Their faith was shattered. Look at verse number 21. We were hoping. Were. One man said that's an imperfect active indicative, if you like to think about the technical things of the Greek language. But it implies that they were hoping, but they are no longer hoping. 
Again, past tense, dashed hopes, shattered faith. He said to them, what things? And their answer revealed that they just didn't quite get it. They didn't quite have it down. They had the physical, they had the historical facts right. But they were missing a key component of the story. And so that brought Jesus' next remark. He has asked them what talk. He has asked them what things. And now he says, what fools. What fools. Look at verse 25. Is this how you would have answered someone who was mourning along the road? Wouldn't we have wanted to you know, put our arm around them and comfort them and encourage them? Wouldn't, isn't that what we would have done? Jesus' response was completely different. He said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? What fools. After listening to all their despondency, his response is to rebuke them. What fools. You see, they didn't understand Jesus' mission. They didn't understand it. They thought him good. They thought him a national deliverer, but they didn't get the concept of Savior, did they? They didn't get the concept of Messiah. One man said they saw the glory of the kingdom, but they failed to understand the suffering. They did the best they could with the limited knowledge they had, but they lacked the key that would unlock the prophetic scriptures. The Messiah must suffer and die before he could enter into his glory. And so Jesus said, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things? Suffering must precede glory. That was always God's plan. The angels earlier in the chapter had said it at the empty tomb. He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. Jesus had said it repeatedly, As the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. These guys didn't understand it. And they didn't understand it, Jesus said, because they didn't know their Bibles. They didn't understand. And so what did Jesus do? Jesus took them to Bible college. He gave them a Bible college education here. Beginning in Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Can you imagine that Bible lesson? Can you imagine the author of the Bible giving a private reading about what it meant? I, I, I just, I just, I can't fathom it. I can't fathom it. I've listened to a lot of sermons. I listened to several yesterday. I was in my garage working, and I know you guys all think I'm crazy that I listen to sermons all the time, but I had my iPod going, and I was listening to sermons while I was out there working. I probably listened to three or four yesterday. But you know what? I cannot imagine a better sermon than this one must have been as Jesus opened the Bible. And explained to them, expounded, the New King James says, but explained what it meant. Amazing. Beginning at Moses and all the prophets. And that's a phrase that simply means all of the Bible, really. All of the Old Testament scriptures. Later in the conversation, if you jump down to verse number 44, you'll see that he added Psalms to the list. So in Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, he was describing the totality of the Old Testament. All of the Old Testament scriptures. And he was going to use all of those Old Testament scriptures to teach them about himself. I've heard some say, and I've even heard some say in this church, perhaps you're one, who say that they'll listen to the words in their Bible that are colored red. But any other words, they think are kind of up for grabs. Well, so we'd have trouble because I don't have a red letter Bible, so there's none in red in my Bible. But uh, you know what Jesus would say to that kind of thinking? 
Anyone want to guess what he would say? He would say, what fools? Because every word of the Bible is about him. He would say, it's all about me from Genesis to Revelation. I am in every page. I am the scarlet thread that runs from cover to cover. I am the theme of every one of the 66 books of the Old and New Testament. He's in all of it. All of it. In Genesis, he is the seed of the woman. In Exodus, he is the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he is our high priest. In Numbers, he is the cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, the prophet like unto Moses. In Joshua, the captain of our salvation. In Judges, our judge and lawgiver. In Ruth, he is our kinsman and redeemer. In Samuel, he is our trusted prophet. In the Kings, in Chronicles, our sovereign king. In Ezra, he is true and faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, the builder of broken down walls. In Esther, he is our Mordecai. Phil and I were talking about that one before, and he said that was a little bit of a stretch, and I agree. It might be. He is our Mordecai. In Job, he is our Redeemer. In Psalms, our Lord, the Lord, our Shepherd. In Proverbs, our Wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, the Times and the Seasons. In the Song of Solomon, our Beloved, Fair One. In Isaiah, the Prince of Peace. Jeremiah, the Balm of Gilead. Lamentations, the Weeping Prophet. Ezekiel, the Wonderful, Four-Faced Man. In Daniel, he's the Fourth Man in the Fiery Furnace. In Hosea, the faithful husband. In Joel, the Holy Ghost baptizer. In Amos, the burden bearer. In Obadiah, he is mighty to save. In Jonah, he is our missionary. In Micah, he's the messenger. In Nahum, he's the avenger of God's elect. In Habakkuk, he is God's evangelist. In Zephaniah, our savior. In Haggai, the restorer of God's lost heritage. In Zechariah, the fountain opened in the house of David. And in Malachi, he is the son of righteousness with healing in his wings. Oh, that's just the Old Testament. In the New Testament, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he is Messiah, servant, man, God. In the Acts, he's the foundation of the church. In Romans, our justifier. In Corinthians, our sanctifier. In Galatians, the redeemer from the curse of the law. In Ephesians, he is the Christ with unsearchable riches. In Philippians, he is the God that supplies all of our needs. In Colossians, the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In Thessalonians, our soon-coming king. In Timothy, the one mediator between God and man. In Titus, the faithful pastor. In Philemon, the friend that sticketh closer than a brother. In Hebrews, the blood of the everlasting covenant. In James, our great physician. In Peter, the chief shepherd. In 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he is love. And in Jude, he is the Lord coming with 10,000 of his saints. And in the Revelation, he is the king of kings and lord of lords forever. Every book, every page, every word. Yes, the prophets told about Jesus. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1 of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. The prophets wrote about him. All who knew their Bibles knew that Moses and the prophets talked about Jesus. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And so beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Wouldn't you like to have heard that? I'm guessing he started with Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 15. The very first promise of the Redeemer. I'm thinking then he might have jumped over to Genesis chapter 22, where Abraham placed his only beloved son on the altar. He might have gone to the passages describing the Passover or the Levitical sacrifices, as Pastor Phil mentioned this morning during communion. He might have talked about the tabernacle ceremonies or the Day of Atonement. He no doubt would have talked about the serpent 
lifted up in the wilderness. And he must have spoken at length from Isaiah chapter 53 about the suffering servant. I'm guessing he quoted to them the Messianic Psalms. Psalm 22, Psalm 69. The things concerning himself. The key to understanding the Bible is to see Jesus Christ on every page, one man said. He did not teach them only doctrine or prophecy. He taught the things concerning himself. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the Son of Man. He's the Lamb of God. He's the Great I Am. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He is our God and our Savior. He is Jesus Christ the Lord. And every page of the Bible screams him. Well, Jesus had a word for these woeful, Woe be gone, disciples, did he not? First, he had a couple of questions. What talk and what things? And then he had a rebuke. What fools? Followed by what must have been the greatest Bible lesson that's ever been taught anywhere on the face of this earth. And so as we wrap it up this morning, we have to ask, we always ask, don't we? Is there application? How do we apply this to us? Is there application from this? And of course, the answer is yes. The answer is always yes. There's always application of Scripture to our lives. And I just want to share a few with you this morning. You know, few of us are going to get through life without discouragement or woe. If you're not walking along the Emmaus Road today, chances are you have, or chances are you will sometime in the future. You're all going to go through hangdog, thumbsucky times just like these guys did. And you're going to need, you're going to need to think about what happened here. You're all going to go through times when your faith has fallen apart. And instead of walking toward Jerusalem, you're walking away from it on the road to Emmaus. So let me just mention three things that I think that they might help us. Number one, on the Emmaus road, the Bible will always have the answers. The Bible will always have the answers. What was true of these two disciples is also true of us. When we don't know our Bibles... We wander in confusion and discouragement and woe. And Jesus didn't have anything good to say about that. He rebuked them for that. What fools. What would Jesus say of Christians today, of his church today, about their level of Bible knowledge? One man said, doubt and fear and confusion are the practical result of willful lack of Bible knowledge we have not because we read not. And I think there's an awful lot of truth in that. On the Emmaus Road, the Bible will always have the answers. Number two. On the Emmaus Road, we cannot see until God opens our eyes. We cannot see until God opens our eyes. These men were blind to the truth. God had to open their eyes. And only when he did could they see. You know what I think? I think we don't pray enough that God would open eyes. I don't think we pray it enough for ourselves. I don't think we pray it enough for others. If we cannot understand, we need to ask God to grant us that understanding. If we cannot see our need, we need to pray and ask God to help us see it. Only he can give it. So if your sight is darkened today, your understanding is dulled today, I I would suggest you need to pray and ask God to open your eyes. Pray as the psalmist prayed, open thou mine eyes. Maybe you need to step out during the invitation and come to the front and let somebody else pray with you. You remember how Elisha prayed for his servant? He said, Lord, open his eyes. There's people here who would pray that with you. 
What a moment it must have been when these men recognized Jesus. Can you imagine it? Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread, blessed and broken, and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. What a moment! Some theorize, again, there's some natural explanation of that. Some think that it was the familiar action of his breaking the bread. He broke the bread. They'd seen him do it before, and they immediately recognized him. Some theorize that as he held his hand up to break the bread, they saw the wounds in his hands, and they recognized him. I don't know, maybe. But the reality is God enabled them to see. Verse 31 says their eyes were opened, and they knew him. God did it. And so this morning, are you having trouble seeing the truth about the Savior? Have you listened to preaching and it just doesn't get in? Have you read your Bible and it just doesn't quite cut it for you? If so, you might be like these men. You might need to, need, you might need to have your eyes open and you need to ask for it. Open my eyes. Step out. Let someone pray with you. Open my eyes. Number three. On the Emmaus Road, woe can make our faith a past tense faith. You know, these guys believed and they followed Jesus until something happened that shook their faith. And then their faith was suddenly past tense. We were hoping, but we're not hoping anymore. And I wonder, has that ever happened to you? Or is it maybe something that you're going through now? I believed he was my Savior, but now I'm not so sure. I thought he would always be there for me. But after all I've been through, I'm just not so sure anymore. I served in the church one time, and there was a young man there. He, he had been a vibrant and active member of the church. He had been the leader of the teens. He had, he had been a deacon and served with distinction in all those roles. He had been one of the most outspoken and fervent uh, you know, servants of the body of Christ in that place. He's just supposedly a good guy, but uh, I, I can't really speak from experience because I only knew that because that's what I was told when I met him that's not what I saw when I met him he was sullen he was unhappy he was depressed he was unwilling to serve in any capacity you see on his Emmaus road he had suffered a terrible loss his wife had died in childbirth leaving him with a new baby and several other young children you know, I'd see him sit in church holding that baby. He never smiled. He wept a lot. And it went on for a long period of time. And one day the pastor told me about this. One day the pastor was trying to encourage him in the Lord. And in response to the pastor's attempts to encourage him, his response was, I've been through an awful lot of bad things, preacher. I've had a lot of bad things happen to me. And see, that's where he was. That's where he was stuck. I've had a lot of bad things happen to me. The woes he had experienced, the discouragement he had gone through, had shaken his faith and had admired in the past tense. And I wonder how many Christians are like that today. How many of you would say, that's my testimony? It was the testimony of these men on the road to Emmaus. I had a lot of bad things happen to me. Until they gained a better understanding of God's word and plan. Until they came to understand that all the while they were having all these bad things happen. The Savior was right there with them. Walking along the road with them the whole time. Gloria Gaither's song says it so well. She says, when I 
saw what lay before me. Lord, I cried, what will you do? I thought he would just remove it, but he gently led me through. Without fire, there is no refining. Without pain, there is no relief. Without flood, there is no rescue. Without testing, no belief. Through the fire, through the flood, through the water, through the blood, through the dry and barren places, through life's dense and maddening mazes, through the pain and through the glory, through it all will tell the story of the God whose power and mercy will not fail to take us through. The Emmaus, too, were shaken. And they were just about to throw in the towel. They were stuck in the past tense. But Jesus had not forsaken them. One of his promises, not one of his promises, had failed. He was beside them from the beginning to the end. He was beside them through it all, carrying them through it all. And he promises the same thing for you. He promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And Jesus keeps his promises. 